Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, you didn't get a Blue Jays game last night, so you get two today. You also get a pretty loaded Jays Talk Plus show. We don't have a game from last night to talk about, but there's still plenty to talk about around this team and around baseball. Uh, Keegan Matheson joins us momentarily. Shai Davidi will be on with us around 11 a.m. He's in Chicago. He's headed to All-Star, and he was, of course, uh, down with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats for Alec Manoa's start on the weekend. Speaking of those New Hampshire Fisher Cats, their pitching coach, Drew Hayes, will join us around 1030. He got a, an up-close and personal look at Alec Manoa. We'll check in on some of the Blue Jays' top pitching prospects who all seem to be concentrated on that Fisher Cats roster right now. And in the last half hour of the show, we'll talk to Joey Votto. And we'll talk to Nathan Lucas of the Buffalo Bison. So, uh, again, lots to go through today. Drew Hayes of the Fisher Cats, Joey Votto, him of the Cincinnati Reds, and arguably the greatest Canadian baseball player, and Nathan Lucas, uh, formerly of the Blue Jays, who lost his 15-game hit streak last night because they used him as a pinch hitter, which uh, I guess when you're on a 15-game hit streak and it spans two stints with the team over the course of several months because you were up in the majors for a long time, he probably doesn't care that much about the hit streak, but it's still funny to see it end because A, he was a pinch hitter, and B, he got intentionally walked an extra inning, so they didn't even give him a chance to uh, to swing the bat there. Uh, tough break for Nathan Lucas. We'll see how he feels about it. Right now, though, Joining us from MLB.com, from BlueJays.com, from an hotel couch in Chicago. It's Keegan Matheson. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Thank you for uh, for letting Shy and I crash the party today. Really uh, upping the athleticism of the, the Jays Talk Plus lineup here. Absolutely. The sprint speed, the velocity, all, all that stuff. It's you, <laughs> Shy, Nathan Lucas. I mean, Drew Hayes was a major league pitcher like 15 minutes ago, too. So, uh, yeah, big shoes for you to fill. But... Can they break down like you can? What do you do in Chicago on a Wednesday night when the ball game gets canceled? Well, you stare at the field for a while, <laughs> which was just delightful. Um, they must not have internet access at, at the field in Chicago. The rain really snuck up on everybody. So, um, it, you know, great decision to sit there and watch it for two hours before making a decision. And uh, <laughs> at that point of the night, you come back to the hotel and you fire up room service. It was a uh, a strange day at the park. We get very spoiled in Toronto with the roof. And we've been pretty lucky this year uh, on the road um, in, in terms of traveling, covering this team. Not too much rain, but man, when it comes, do I, I ever turn into a diva just for a second. I think, how can you live without a roof when you don't know if you're going to play on time every night? So uh, shout out to the roof at Rogers Center. Yeah, that's uh, between rain delays and the air quality stuff we've run into earlier this year. It's a it's a good season to have a dome. Um, in, so there there's the element of this where yes, it sucks to lose a game, and it's probably not the most efficient use of you know media's time or players' time to sit there and wait it out to hear if a game is going to be canceled. But we do get a doubleheader today. Uh, for anyone who didn't catch it, uh, the Blue Jay the first head of that first leg of that doubleheader will start at five ten p.m. Eastern time. The the second part of it will start 30 to 45 minutes after the first one ends. So you'll get roughly a five o'clock and an eight o'clock game. Uh, Keegan, as a once in a while thing, do you enjoy a doubleheader just to kind of mix it up? It, to me, it feels very baseball-y to have a doubleheader. It is. Yeah, it's good to have a few a year. Uh, I would take 81 doubleheaders over 162 <laughs> games. That's my hot take. 
Uh, I'm thinking about all of those 81 days I would get back in my life. So I, once I'm at the ballpark, I'm good to be there for 15 hours if we need to be. That's fine. It's, it's an okay place to be. I have worked in places that are not ballparks. I'll take the ballpark. But uh, there is something baseball-y about a doubleheader, and I always enjoy seeing how teams put it together, how you manage a bullpen, who is going to play both games and grind it out. There's a, a certain level of, of stubbornness and endurance involved in that, which isn't in a typical game. So I like it the odd time. The stubbornness is uh, is a particularly interesting one. So the Jays are in a bit of a an interesting spot here with the doubleheader because Yusei Kikuchi is throwing one part of that doubleheader. And, you know, it, a couple starts ago, he was back to, to giving them some length. But for the most part this year, they haven't trusted him to go uh, super deep. Now, in addition to that, you have Alec Manoa going on Friday and who knows what to expect from him. Um I guess the the benefit is you you had the off day yesterday. You have the All Star break coming up, so the, so you can kind of bookend this doubleheader with rest for the bullpen. Uh, but is that is that the kind of strategy element that's front of mind for you? What what the bullpen looks like these next two days now with the doubleheader here? Yeah, when do you use your long guy? When does Bowden Francis get used or a, a Thomas Hatch? We'll see who the twenty seventh man is today. Whether it's a a Thornton, a Jackson, someone like that. Thornton threw but, two innings last night in an extra inning game, so I don't know that, that, that Thornton, happened. yeah. Well, whoever is capable of throwing a baseball for multiple <laughs> innings, today's your day. Really, if you are if you are in the Blue Jays organization and you're close to the big leagues, uh, this is a spot, and we've said it a lot, where, again, having a traditional number six or number seven starter would be so valuable here just to have a guy who can come in and throw four or five innings if you really need if your starter gets torched in the second or third inning. And with Kikuchi and with Manoa, you have to prepare for a bad outcome there, whether it's a short outing or with Manoa. Like you said, we don't know what's going to happen on Friday. So this could get a little dicey. Uh, at the same time, the Tigers are dealing with the – or sorry, the the, uh, the Chicago White Sox are dealing with the salmon, getting a couple days ahead of us. But the White Sox were already planning on a bullpen day today, so how messy does that get? Probably – messier than the Blue Jays. And these days are sometimes just about being a little more put together than the other side. Doesn't have to be perfect, but as long as you can put it together at a decent rate. Yeah. And the 27th man helps, uh, you know, the White Sox, maybe they could, maybe they call up a, a pseudo starter and it's not a full length guy or something like that. Uh, the Jays options, you mentioned a couple there. Uh, Trent Thornton did throw an inning in two thirds last night, but in terms of guys who are on the 40 man, uh, Jay Jackson's relatively fresh, Hagen Danner, relatively flip fresh. Uh, Zulueta pitched yesterday and he's going to be in the process game so maybe not a spot for him but uh, the other name I wanted to ask you about and I don't know that you guys got an update after his last uh, AAA appearance which didn't go particularly well but uh, do we know how close Zach Pop is because he's coming up on the 30 days not not quite yet for his rehab assignment but uh, he's you know he's been down there on and off since May 30th uh, getting some work and do, do you have a sense of how close Zach Pop might be? Yeah, asked uh, John Schneider about that yesterday. I think he had something else flare up in the middle there, which might have reset it. Mm-hmm. So uh, Schneider said he believed it was the 16th uh, he has okay. on the IL until maximum if you need. The issue, like you said, Blake, is that it hasn't been going all that well uh, for Pop in AAA. So we'll see if that would be enough. Uh, at this point, when he's making multiple outings in a row, health-wise suggests he is ready. It's just about getting back to... Recovery-wise, doing that back-to-back days if you need to, but 
with Pop, with Simber, with some others, Simber being further away, of course. There's some arms coming back, but at the same time, you want to see a bit of success at AAA there. You certainly do. And, you know, in a day like this, I, I don't know. My guess is if I were forced to pick right now, Jay Jackson looked like he, he filled in and gave him some good innings last time out. He's relatively fresh. Uh, you know, that that's a name that, that makes sense to me. I would have guessed Trent Thornton had he not uh, been used for multiple innings last night. So maybe it's a Jay Jackson day. Um, nice to have a couple of options there if you're the Blue Jays. Um, I want to look ahead a little bit to what this bullpen could look like after this weekend, because with a doubleheader and only a couple days to the break, you can kind of, you know, you're in do what you need to do mode to get through these last five games here, even though they're against, you know, somewhat lesser competition, but the return of Alec Manoa on Friday, and, and we'll talk about that, uh, talk about that a bunch in a minute here. It has the potential to fundamentally change John Schneider's bullpen in two ways. One being that, you know, one of those long men that have been available, whether it's Bowden Francis or Thomas Hatch, um, you know, they, they are conceivably headed down to AAA to make room for Alec Manoa. The other is that you get Trevor Richards back in a more permanent leverage role. How, how do you see the Manoa return? And, and let's assume go things go reasonably well uh, here at first. The, the Manoa return impacting John Schneider's bullpen and how he's able to use what will then be a shorter bullpen, but but maybe an easier one to manage. Yeah, back to normal, back to something more traditional, I, I think, and will obviously help the rotation just being five starters. You know, The Blue Jays going immediately to bullpen games, that's a tough place to be in. But having Trevor Richards kind of as that guy in the middle and middle relief is typically used as a, a code word for your worst reliever. But I don't think that's the case here. I think having Richards in the middle is very valuable to bridge that gap. If you do have a Kikuchi outing where he only goes four and two thirds or five, you have Richards for that sixth, that seventh. If you need Richards can handle lefties very well with that change up. He can do a lot of things in the middle that allows John Schneider to hold off his big guns for a bit later. You're talking Nate Pearson, Eric Swanson, Tim Meza, Jordan Romano. So that's very valuable. I think Trevor Richards, it's not always the most obvious. It's not always as obvious as it's been this last month, but is a really valuable piece of this bullpen and has definitely exceeded my expectations this season. So credit to him. And that lets this entire picture just work more naturally because John Schneider, Pete Walker, this entire staff has had to kind of create on the fly recently, balancing out, should we save Trevor Richards for a start? Should we use him here? Should we save Bowden Francis? Should we save Thomas Hatch? That's not where you want to be. Ideally, you have five normal starters, which is finally where they'll be again on Friday, and you can just play the matchups. So I, I think they will be able to target the matchups without any second thoughts, without any buts, and that's a much much better place to be long-term. Definitely. It definitely is. And this is, you know, if Alec Manoa can slot in here and give them something every fifth day or every fifth time, uh, it goes a long way to, like you said, the the workload on some of the back of the bullpen arms, your confidence level, and maybe the seventh inning. Um, the other effect that Manoa's return could have is helping out the other four starters who have been asked to do a lot more. Now, I know you compare this to, say, 15, 20 years ago, and guys starting every fifth day instead of every fifth game, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. We're not that far removed from everyone pitching 200 innings. But in the modern game, given the level of preparation and workout and bullpen sessions and things like that between starts, there is a... 
both a fatigue toll and a process toll to asking your pitchers to juggle as the Blue Jays have juggled the last little bit. Um, do you see that as part of the reason that, like, I, I think we were all caught a little bit by the speed with which Manoa's back in the major league, but do, do you think that that's a factor in this decision and the the urge to get Manoa back up that, hey, this has been working fine and you managed about a month okay, but this has taken a toll on guys like Bassett and Gosman and Barrios. Has to be. And you really don't need to squint too hard to, to see how much this has worn on the other four starters. They have said all the right things, done all the right things, and full credit to them for keeping this going and pitching very well. Outside of a blip there from Bassett and I think one ugly one from Barrios, this has been a a pretty good rotation rolling this last month without Manoa. But, man, that wears on you. Even for veteran guys like this who are handling it physically as well as you can, it wears on you. And not having that extra day of rest is tough. And the worry for me has always been long-term. When you're thinking about late September into October, are you going to have a Gossman or a Bassett or a Barrios get to the end and not run out of gas, but maybe not have their best stuff? That's the nightmare scenario for the Blue Jays. You need to have something left when you get there. When you get to the tournament, you have to have something left. So this is important from a longevity standpoint. And also important to just let them catch their breath because these things are cyclical. There will come a time in a week or a month where the Blue Jays are scoring runs, but the rotation is struggling a little bit. It doesn't continue at this rate forever. These things will ebb and flow. So you need to get some breath into them quickly. And again, credit to them for how they've handled it, but this has not been ideal. This has been a million miles from ideal. And uh, the lack of rotation depth is, uh, again, what what put the Blue Jays here. And they've uh, somehow gotten through it. They have. And, you know, we'll we'll see. They got through it with three bullpen days where they went one and two, you know, ERA just under five. You you survived it as best you could. I don't think anyone could complain too much with the actual result of the bullpen days from the pitching standpoint. But you don't want to be operating that way. And you certainly don't want to be overtaxing your starters. So that is this is the end of that if. Alec Manoa returns and pitches capably for the Toronto Blue Jays starting tomorrow, Friday in Detroit. Um, But that is not a certainty. And Keegan, I wonder, you know, when you're down there yesterday and or Tuesday rather, and John Schneider just kind of slips in at the end of his media availability. Oh, by the way, Alec Manoa is starting on Friday. Uh, What was your initial reaction, your initial thought on, um, you know, on on that decision and, and the timing of this? Surprise. Uh, I I won't pretend that I saw it coming. I'd love to sound smart and say, as expected, blah, blah, blah. That's a lie. Uh, This was earlier than I thought it would come. And I was expecting maybe a triple-A start at minimum for Manoa. But this has always been a bit of a moving target. And this has always been a situation really without much of a blueprint. Uh, You can't point and say, well, last year, the Red Sox, when they sent down their ace, this is how this doesn't happen. This is very rare what the Blue Jays are doing with Manoa. So it was surprising, but it probably was always going to be surprising. And at this point, it's uh, the Blue Jays really betting on their process, which is a a word I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the definition of. I think it means a lot of things, but. They are betting on Manoa checking off all of the boxes they laid out for him, which is throwing more strikes, a little more velocity, 
a bit of a tinker to his mechanics to get back to where he was last year. And confidence has to be a part of that as well. It's the most difficult part to measure, but his confidence is part of this. So they are happy with where he is at this point. Uh, I know a lot of people are surprised or disagree with it, but it's their call and it's now their risk because like we've talked about, Blake, this has to work Mm -hmm. at this point. When, when he comes back, it's got to work because if Manoa returns and it is something close to what we saw earlier in the year, what do you do? You know, at that point, this, this is something you need to work the first time or else it gets awkward. You know, Manoa is someone who has proven that he is worth betting on. And I would always advise betting on Manoa in these situations, but uh, still got to work. I know you just asked it kind of rhetorically and asked, you know, kicked it to me. But in seriousness, what if this doesn't work? Like, like let's say... You know, let, let's play out a scenario where it's okay on Friday and then first start out of the all-star break as tougher competition comes. Things don't look very good again. Um, at, at that point, you know, you're, you're kind of running out of time. And, and I think this is maybe a component of why now versus why give him another start or two is I, I do think there's a little bit of you got to figure out if Manoa is going to be able to plug that spot or not because the trade deadline's not that far away. And, and as much as you're not going to get a Cy Young caliber guy on the trade market, probably you are very highly leveraged on this season. So um, does that play into it for you at all that that kind of urgency to figure out if Manoa is going to be able to get back. And then, you know, to your own question, what does happen if this, if this doesn't look good? It absolutely has to be a factor in this because where the blue Jays are right now, I think this Manoa situation really requires a big picture view in that you can't screw these seasons up. You know, these seasons don't come around all the time. You think about, the mid nineties to the 2015, right? That's a long time of seasons that were stuck in the middle and didn't move the needle all that much seasons where you have a chance and have a roster good enough, talented enough to make a run. If they play to their potential, these are rare. So with Manoa, you've got to figure it out now because you need to know, is this going to be the guy again? Is he back to being Alec Manoa? Or do the Blue Jays, like you said, have to go out and make a big move? And that would be the case. They would need to be aggressive on the trade market because these seasons do not come around every single year. These runs, these windows, these players do not last forever. There has to be some urgency. And if Manoa comes back and is not himself, if he is even a five ERA guy, a high four ERA guy, we'll see. That puts you in the awkward spot of are you trying to upgrade at the trade deadline? Do you want more depth? Who is Hunjin Ryu this season? Is he a high four ERA guy who's going to give you five innings? Does he come back and carve his way through some lineups and look like he did in 2020? Unlikely, but it's possible. Ryu is, has been a great pitcher. So many question marks here, and so much of it is based on the Blue Jays' own internal confidence. So much of this is based on the eye test, on gut feel, and what they think will happen next because they've got four weeks until that deadline. And it's a deadline where you may need to be aggressive uh, to really chase something with this roster. 
And it's uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Hyunjin Ryu element and to a lesser extent, Chad Green plays in here when you're thinking about the bullpen because you've got Manoa, Ryu, and Green ostensibly coming back and you could be optimistic about those guys internally, but you are not going, maybe with Manoa, you get a couple starts under him and see by the deadline, but Ryu's 30-day rehab clock just started the other day. Chad Green hasn't gotten into game action yet. You can't exactly be sure that these guys are going to contribute anything. And we all love Hyunjin Ryu. His comeback would be a great story. I, I, you know, there's a long, long track record there, but he was also throwing 88 in his first time out. And you need to see that velo tick up and a couple other things. So um, that is a, you know, it's a bit of an awkward spot that they're navigating heading into the deadline with things that might help, but aren't certain to help. Um, So you mentioned a lot of this is their internal feeling, their internal confidence. Well, we aren't privy to some of that. So when Alec Manoa takes the hill on Friday against the Detroit Tigers, what is Keegan Matheson looking for? What are your internal things that would give you confidence that Alec Manoa can build off of Friday's start uh, and continue to contribute to this team moving forward? Strikes. Really, it's an oversimplification, but if you see a guy who is confidently and stubbornly throwing strikes, that is the good thing. Even if he gets hit a little bit, you want him to be in the zone confidently and attacking the zone confidently. Uh, Manoa is a guy who does allow some contact. There will be days he gets beat. So it was widely projected there'd be a bit of regression this year, and that's why. But this has obviously gone miles beyond it. Manoa's main issue in my eyes, which was a a midway point of mental and physical, was nibbling around the edges, was trying to be too perfect, which was his wording. Alec Manoa is not a perfect pitcher. The beauty of Alec Manoa is that he is not perfect. He is very good, and he's very good at being very good. He attacks that zone, lives in it, and says, hey, here's my best stuff. Try to beat it. He stopped doing that earlier this year. He was trying to throw his perfect stuff. He was trying to kiss the edges of the zone, throw the perfect slider with the perfect amount of break. He's at his best when he's just trying to be himself and fill the strike zone and challenge the hitter with his chest out saying, hey, come on and hit this. Do something with this. What can you do with my fastball that's catching all of the plate, not just the edge of the plate? So I think attacking the zone is all I want to see from Alec Manoa. You can nitpick with mechanics, with velocities, with spin rates, with movement, et cetera, et cetera. Alec Manoa, I think more than any pitcher in this roster, is a guy who still needs a bit of that eye test to see how he looks, where that confidence is. And if he gets that early strikeout and is stomping off the mound, beating his chest, and there's chains bouncing off his chest, even better. That's who Manoa needs to be, and it it sounds like a simple fix, but I don't know how it feels to stand on an MLB mound and get hit hard. That can hit your confidence, I would imagine, pretty directly. So all about confidence for him, all about being in the zone, saying, here's my best stuff. What can you do with it? And I I like that. I love that element of it, especially because, you know, one of the early warning signs with Manoa this year was, you know, before he started walking a lot of guys and struggling with his command – at a, at a very high level, one of the issues was, well, he wasn't able to get guys out with two strikes. He was getting into two strike counts and unable to put them away. So uh, that confidence challenging guys late in counts, I would love to see that. I will... I will probably be looking a little more closely at at some of the finer stuff, at least on the slider, just because, 
you know, that's such an important weapon for him. And it went from being one of the best sliders in baseball last year to one of the worst earlier on this year. So we'll see how that looks. But again, like you said, his conviction in throwing it and especially in big counts and big situations will, I think, tell us a lot. So Keegan, you're in Chicago right now. You don't have to head to Seattle for all-star weekend, but I've been asking every guest who comes on. We have a home run derby field. It includes Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It also includes Adley Rutschman, Mookie Betts, Luis Robert Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Randy Rosarena, Pete Alonso, and Adelis Garcia. Uh, do you have a pick? Do you have a favorite for you in the home run derby? Which, uh, if anyone hasn't seen the format they're rolling with this year, is a straight bracket style. It's it's easy to say Pete Alonso. I think he's a human being who is built for the home run derby and who loves it. I, I like guys that are embracing the derby now and treating it as a legitimate competition, not just a sideshow. It's very cool. I also look for someone like even a dark horse like a Mookie, who I think can just have that repeatable swing, maybe not completely gas himself. I'm really just taking the simple approach of who's a smaller guy that will not run out of gas but can still hit for some pop. And I cannot wait to watch Randy Rosarena. I think he is going to be an incredible show. I think he's going to have more fun than anybody doing that. I would love to see him run the bases every single home run and pause and cross his arms and make everyone's uncle very upset. But it's going to be a a great show. My dollar would probably be on Alonzo, but I'm most excited to see uh, Rosarena. Here's a here's a question. So in Tampa Bay, they they do Randy Land, where if he hits a home run uh, in on a Friday at Tropicana Field, a certain section gets a beer. H- how do we how do we turn that into a home run derby game of sorts? Oh, I love it. I, I think that if Randy Rosarena hits a home run in the Derby, I should get a beer. <laughs> I think, and I will hope that he breaks Vladdy's record of 91. Yeah, I think you will be in trouble late Monday night <laughs> if that's uh, that's how we uh, structure the game. Um, okay, so a couple other big events happening around baseball this weekend in addition to the games and the home run derby and uh, the all-star game on Tuesday. We'll also have the futures game, and there are a pair of Blue Jays in it in Josfer Zulueta and Sam Robertsa. Uh, Zulueta working out of the bullpen for AAA Buffalo right now. Ross Atkins telling us recently that, yeah, that's probably where his uh, at least near-term future is, is uh, you know, in that in that bullpen as a potential relief arm. And then Sam Robertsa, one of the, you know, more fun talent identification and player development stories in the system. He's up to double A now. Uh, what can you tell us about those two guys and, you know, in terms of, their viability to help this Blue Jays team this year, whether in a, in a small role at the major league level or potentially as trade bait has, has Robertsa's standing around the league kind of improved the same way his reputation here in Toronto has. It has. And Robertsa is a traditional starter. Like he's a prospect who is just a starting pitcher, which is refreshing at this point. (laughs) I don't have to say the word bulk. It's, it's so lovely to not say the word bulk while talking about a pitching prospect. He's a starter. He's being rolled out as that right now. He can give you length. The important thing with Robertsa this past offseason is that he finally put on weight, which he was struggling to do. I don't understand struggling to put <laughs> on weight, but apparently it was a thing. He's finally built himself up a bit physically, looks a lot better, feels a lot better, and he says that he feels it in his legs. A year ago, he would have felt a little shaky on that 80th, 90th pitch. Now he feels like he can still drive to the plate. There's a lot of athleticism in his delivery, and the fact that he kind of taught himself how to pitch 
means that he can tinker. You see that with Bo Bichette. Since he taught himself that swing, he knows it as well as anyone. Well, with Robertsa, he knows his delivery very well. He's a sharp kid. And as a starting pitcher, a little far off to help the Blue Jays this year. I think next year he's part of that depth conversation. And if you're looking for pitching in a trade, like everyone is, you are asking about Sam Robertsa. Now, Yasser Zulueta entered the year with a lot of momentum. Uh, we ranked him highly, I believe, number three in the system on MLB Pipeline. He hasn't done much to inspire more confidence this year. You know, he, he's back into a single inning or maybe one and two-third, two-inning bullpen role right now. Throwing mostly 97-98, which is just shy of that 100 he used to tease, but at this point, you need to see something a bit more from Zulueta. The talent is there. If you see him on the right day, it can look incredibly exciting. But there have been too many walks, and everyone's got a guy who throws 98-99. Most systems have 50. So how are you going to separate yourself? And Zulueta, that needs to be a little more consistency, uh, getting that ball in the zone and challenging hitters because the walks have been there. His talent is still exceptional. He has been kind of the, the mystery and the intrigue guy in this system for a while and has missed some time with injuries. But I think with Zulueta right now, the, what you want to target is that Nate Pearson pass. Can he really ramp it up, give you two innings out of the bullpen? We'll see. But uh, a bit of a stop down on Zulueta just needs to get that talent more consistently in the game. So it's also the Major League Baseball draft this weekend. And I know at MLB.com and MLB Pipeline, they do uh, a ton of work led by Jim Callis there. So, uh, you know, you, you're kind of in a support role for the weekend and kind of just helping, you know, reframe some of the pipeline stuff. I, I don't mean that negatively. None of us are watching a lot of college baseball. Um, so I can't sit here and ask you, hey, who are the Jays taking at number 20? Who are the Jays taking at number 121 or 157. Uh, the Jays don't have a second rounder because of the Chris Bassett signing. Um, so they pick 20th and then not again until 89th in seriousness though. What have you learned about this team, this franchise's approach to the draft over your years covering them, particularly with this front office? Yeah, I think you've seen it change uh, the last few years and you can start to see the type of player uh, the blue Jays have liked to target. And, a little different for position and pitchers, of course. High up in the draft, the Blue Jays have tended to target someone with a good plate approach and good contact skills. In terms of pitchers, the Blue Jays are finally targeting, and I think this is a very good thing, targeting higher upside. Maybe you have a 5% chance at a star instead of a, <clears throat> excuse me, instead of a, a higher percent chance at getting a starter. You think back six, eight, ten years ago with the TJ Zoic, John Harris, those types of more college picks in the first round. Yeah, you can bet on them being AAA or big leaguers, but is there a superstar outcome there? Not always. From the lower levels of the system right now, you see this with Ricky Tiedemann, the Blue Jays are really targeting that velocity, the strikeouts. They want to swing big, and if they miss, they miss. But if you produce a star, that's how you keep these franchises going, and that's how you can pay your stars when you're developing stars. So I think that they are targeting those physical outcomes, a little bit of a big swing on pitching, which I think is great. And uh, you know, talking to Shane Farrell, who runs the Blue Jays draft, he said, particularly in terms of position players, it's a deep draft. So the hope there is that you still have some top-end talent around at number 20. 
But uh, I, I don't envy people who do NBA and NFL mocks. I do not envy MLB mock drafts because there's so much involved financially as well. It's a bit of a crapshoot. At least with the NBA draft, we've got a, a you know a finite number of guys we have to look yeah. at, right? There are only 60 picks, so I can handle. I mean, I didn't uh, this year. I only really focused on the Raptors pick at number 13. But even in years past, when I'm going deep on draft stuff, like you're talking about 100 prospects at most. Baseball, you're talking about 100 guys who might be in the mix at number 20. I, I do not envy the Jim Callises of the world at MOB Pipeline. Uh, Keegan, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. Uh, let, let's play too. Enjoy the doubleheader. Hey, you got it. Talk soon, Blake. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, of BlueJays.com. You can, of course, uh, check out those sites for all Keegan's work coming off of tonight's doubleheader and into the weekend, surely on Manoa's return on Friday. Um, and then if you are someone who is interested in the the Major League Baseball draft, uh, Keegan does an excellent job integrating some of the MLB pipeline scouting stuff with his view uh, of the Blue Jays organization uh, as well. So keep an eye out for that stuff. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk a little bit more Blue Jays at the draft. Uh, we were supposed to have New Hampshire Fisher Cats uh, pitching coach Drew Hayes on. Um, he had to reschedule. So Kayla McGrath of The Athletic is going to join us next. She had a, a draft preview for the Blue Jays up at The Athletic this uh, yesterday morning, rather, that, that we'll go through a little bit, and then we'll kind of uh, whip around the state of the Jays to get Caitlin's take on, hey, Alec Manoa's return, uh, whether is someone finally going to pick Vlad on a Blue Jays show to win the home run derby? The guy hit 91 home runs in the derby in 2019. We've had guests on all week and not a single person's picked him. Maybe it's Caitlin. I will talk to her next as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's the opening notes. Those are the opening notes. A little song called Resurrection. Uh, that is, I'm being dramatic here. But that's what the Blue Jays are hoping for from Alec Manoa on Friday. Uh, joining Alec Manoa Friday in Detroit will be our next guest, Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Caitlin, how are you and how fired up are you to, I don't know, are you flying to Detroit? Are you making the drive? Are you taking the train to Windsor and then tunnel busting across? What's the move here? Yeah, going train route. Hell yeah, I love to. I have done the train to Windsor before and then just hopped across. I, th I think it's a great trip. And I'd imagine a weekend in the middle of the summer with a big Alec Manoa start, uh, there's probably going to be a, a handful of Jays fans joining you down in Detroit. Oh, I, I think so. I mean, uh, prior to even knowing that Alec Manoa is going to be starting again, I think it's always a big trip for Toronto Fans. I remember like last year going, I went to Detroit last year and uh, there was a ton of Blue Jays fans. And I think it was like, I think it was Kevin Gossman. It was one of the newer Blue Jays. And he was like, had no idea how close Detroit actually was to Toronto. So like a few Blue Jays were like shocked that there was that many people there. But yeah, it's a, it's definitely like one of those uh, road series. that kind of feels like a home series to some extent. It certainly does. It, like Seattle's in there, Cleveland a little bit, Pittsburgh we saw earlier this year, and Detroit for sure. Detroit's always the big one too on the NBA side where like Masai has even hopped on the bus before uh, with fans and, and they take over. So that, that's great. It should make for a very fun weekend for Jays fans, should make for a fun atmosphere at Comerica. 
There are more question marks, though, about how Friday's start will go. I, I know you wrote about it in kind of an instant react at, at The Athletic on Tuesday when we found out, Caitlin, but uh, the news that Alec Manoa is back this soon, especially after the FCL start went as it did, and the New Hampshire start, while he had 10 strikeouts in five innings, you know, the slider wasn't entirely there, and he had some issues with the walk. How, how off guard did that catch you on Tuesday when John Schneider snuck that in there? I, I think I was pretty surprised. Um if only because I thought the Blue Jays um, would be very sort of deliberate um, with this, just because I, you look know, like you said, the the start in New Hampshire was better. Um, the ten strikeouts was definitely um, reassuring. I think the fastball velocity looked good, so there was definitely a lot of like positives from it. But I guess I was just thinking that there would be more of a sort of slow build like okay you see that kind of outing and you think okay let's see if he can pitch six or seven innings um maybe be more efficient with his pitches like i think it was around like 82 pitches or something over five innings which you know is is okay um not as efficient as you want you mentioned the walks a little bit and so i thought it was actually a really good like stepping stone and i thought maybe you get one more start in double a um, and then you have the all-star break. And then maybe after the all-star break would be a time to bring him back. Um, so I guess I was definitely a little caught off guard for sure. Just kind of thinking it would be a bit of a slow process at the same time. You know, we know, you know, I know that the teams always have so much more information than we have. Um, and you know, obviously they were down in Florida with him or people were down in Florida with him and none of us were able to see that. And so, you know, you trust that the team knows what they're doing here. Um, they, they have information that we don't have. They obviously have had him sort of check these boxes they needed to be checked at the same time. Like I do think that there's probably a level of Blue Jays maybe need, need a starter at this point. I've always been sort of wondering why they didn't give maybe someone like Bowden Francis more of a look, but, you know, maybe they like him in the bulk role. They don't want to expose him too much. They sort of like the way they've used him. I don't know, but it, you know, they, I do think they needed a starter. They want to give Kevin Gosman that extra day. That all makes sense. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, it, it, it's going to be probably like the, the biggest start of the year in terms of just intrigue. Um, and, you know, I, I really have no expectations. I don't know what to expect. I'm just going to wait to see what happens. Um, yeah, it's it makes for a very fun Friday for sure. It's, uh, you know, it's a curious one, but we'll see. And there's lots to, you know, it's... I like the element of it from a I host a two hour Blue Jays radio show every day that we're, you know, getting a little bit of this before the all star break. And even if things go really well against the Tigers, we can look at the next start and be like, okay, quality of competition's going up. How does it go? It works for that standpoint. I am a little hesitant about, you know, if things go poorly, but. You know, I, I think there are some people who like to view the world as, well, what if things go well? And, and I'm trying to think like them uh, a little bit. And we know the impact that could have on the other starters, the impact that could have on uh, the bullpen and things like that. So, Caitlin, another I, I want to pivot off of Manoa here. It's a bit of a hard. There's not an easy segue, um, but you wrote yesterday a, a draft preview for the Blue Jays heading into this weekend up at the Athletic Blue Jays 2023 MLB draft preview. Uh, Toronto tried to make the most of its number 20 pick. That number 20 pick, 
is about all the Jays have that, you know, I think fans will still be tuned into because of the Chris Bassett signing. They don't pick again until number 89. I know some of you spoke to uh, Shane Farrell yesterday. What were your impressions coming out of that chat with Shane Farrell about um, what the Blue Jays are, are thinking, what their mindset is heading into what some of the prospect people are calling one of the better MLB drafts in recent memory? Look, I, I am not a draft expert. Uh, you know, I kind of tune into it uh, in the week leading up to the draft and then, you know, kind of immediately go back to doing things once <laughs> it's over. Um, so I'm not, not an expert, but, you know, I always like listening to these types of things. And um, I, I was interested to read about, like, how deep the draft is, like you said. Um, I guess it's going back a couple years. A lot of high school hitters in 2020 maybe opted to go to college because of the pandemic and uh, that year it was a shortened draft. And so you had all these top high school hitters that maybe would have gotten picked had it been sort of a normal year, um, but they opted to go to college. And so now you've got this really stacked class where, um, you know, I think Shane Farrell kind of said it was deep in college position players, deep in high school position players. Uh, I know there's a lot of college pitchers available. Um, and so it's probably going to be, I, I mean, it's, it's good for the Blue Jays in the sense that, you know, they are picking number 20, but again, it feels like it's going to be pretty deep draft. Like at 20, you're still going to get a really quality um, player. And even I was reading Keith Law and he was saying like, even guys that are going to pick, be picked outside of the first round are really, really good because maybe in another draft, they would be easy first round picks, but this draft is just so deep um, that they might not be. And so, you know, on the one hand, good that the Blue Jays have the 20 pick. It's probably pretty deep. On the one hand, maybe tough that they don't have a second-round pick this year. Um, they don't have any of those, like, supplemental picks either. I remember last year they had four picks because of the um, because of losing um, Robbie Ray and Simeon, I think. Um, and so it's kind of a contrast. The Blue Jays were sort of used to this position because two years ago when they signed George Springer, they also lost their second-round pick. So it's kind of familiar territory. For the Blue Jays, in terms of like what they're going to do, I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> Best player available is what they always say. Um, you know, at draft night, I'm always just kind of like queued up my Baseball America and <laughs> all the sites that know way more than I do and just kind of look up who they choose. But, yeah, I mean, the Blue Jays, I guess the one interesting thing is how sort of interwoven player development and uh, the amateur scouting side is. And it's interesting to hear that, um, you know, the Blue Jays are really targeting people. Obviously, they're good players that have a good skill set, but also like a skill set that they know that they can develop well. Um, one thing that stood out yesterday was just contact hitters. I think they like to get a lot of guys that make a ton of contact. That's the type of team the Blue Jays have been for the last several years. And so that would be the only sort of skill set of a hitter in the first round that I would think that they would um, identify. Um, but otherwise, I have no idea what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, nobody nobody does really. Like, we have uh, even the, the Keith Laws of the world, and he at The Athletic recently called it the best draft class since 2011, which was the Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, Francisco Lindor, George Springer draft class, and I'm only naming half of the all-stars from that class. Um, so pretty high praise. But even when Keith was on the show with me, you know, when, when you got get as low as 20, it's like, well, okay, who knows? Like, teams are going to feel very differently about these guys. So I don't blame you there. Um, I, I do wonder, you mentioned the the high contact approach they valued and there have been a lot of, you know, 
middle infield types that are quick through the system and then dealt away. Do, do Is there a part of you that like, I don't mean to be nihilistic about this because it obviously matters that you hit on the pick. And even if you're trading prospects away, you want them to be better prospects. But this front office has been a little more aggressive than I would have expected when they came in here, turning around and flipping draft picks pretty quickly for MLB help. Does that change how you approach the draft or, or the, the, premium you put on it when you're paying attention to it yeah i mean it's a good question i mean i don't i don't think so and it yeah the blue jays have been a team that the the emphasis um has been on the major league club most of the talent is concentrated at the major league club level right now um i remember like talking to keith before about like the blue jay system because i remember when the this year's top 100 list came out and um, I think it was just the one guy on the list, Ricky Tiedemann. And a lot of Blue Jays fans, I remember, were kind of nervous or, you know, kind of concerned about the fact that the Blue Jays really only had one top 100 guy. And I remember talking to Keith about it and asking him about it. And he was saying, like, well, if there was a top 200 level or list, then the Blue Jays would actually be well represented <laughs> on that. And so the, th- the thinking was that the Blue Jays have a lot of guys that maybe this year could have been – could be their breakout year um, in the system. There's sort of a lot of young guys. They do really well in the international signing. That's one thing that they've developed really well. Um, And so I think with the Blue Jays system, it's probably going to be a lot better in a year or two once some of those guys age and mature and um, develop a little bit. And so I don't necessarily like view the draft as a way that Blue Jays have to like stack their system or, you know, replenish talent. I mean, obviously it is a a time to replenish talent, um, but I I don't really view it in the way that they trade guys or, you know, think that they're um, drafting certain guys just so they can trade them. I mean, they're in a, they're in a phase right now where the talent is concentrated at the major league level, but probably not going to be that way forever. Or it's going to be, you know, more spread out or there's going to be waves of talent coming in the organization. Yeah, and you know, you said talent's concentrated at the major league level right now. There will also be a little bit of Blue Jays talent concentrated at All-Star Weekend in Seattle. Four Toronto Blue Jays will be there playing, um, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will be participating in the Home Run Derby, where back in 2019, he hit a record 91 home runs, but because of the format, did not win. Caitlin, we have the field of eight for the Home Run Derby. I've been asking every guest do you have a lean as to who you think will be this year's home run derby champion? Uh, I, I thought Vladdy, his matchup is interesting. I think he's against Mookie Betts in the mm-hmm. first round. Um, I think that's a winnable round for Vlad. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Julio does have the home field advantage. Um, and so he's kind of a guy, I know he's not having maybe the best season right now, but the same time, like there could be a spark there. I'm intrigued by Adley Rushman. Uh, I think that will be really fun seeing him. I like the field. It's a really good mix of young, exciting players and obviously like well-known superstars. Um, you have Julio, you know, at home. So I think it's going to be a really fun um, home run derby. I, I don't know. I guess Pete Alonso is probably like the safe pick just because he takes it so seriously, which I kind <laughs> of love. <laughs> He's like you know, a professional home run derby guy. Um, so he's probably like the safe pick, but I think I'm going to go with Adley Rushman. I don't know. I just like, I just like kind of um, the Orioles are riding high right now or generally this year and his first derby, I think. So I think he's my pick.
Plus, this is the year of the underseed. The Miami Heat as an eight seed sneak in and go all the way to the championship. The Philadelphia Phillies as the last team in. Maybe being the eight seed has a little bit of a uh, little bit of magic to it here for Adley Rutschman as well. The seeding, by the way, just based on home run total uh, at the time the seeds were set. And Rutschman, quote unquote, only has 11 home runs as, you know, one of the best all around catchers uh, in baseball. Caitlin, anything else you're looking forward to all star weekend? Um, well, I'm looking forward to like a little bit of break for myself, if I'm being <laughs> honest, you know, <laughs> that's You've earned always it. fun time. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Nice. Uh, well, I hope you have uh, a terrific weekend and uh, the draft stuff is nice and easy because the Jays just don't have that many picks and Keith Law's helping you out with the stuff. Uh, I hope you have a nice break ahead, Caitlin. Thanks for taking the time out. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Caitlin McGrath of the athletic uh, again that draft previews up at the athletic you can take a look there um m- a little more detail there on the jays history and what shane farrell had to say yesterday uh, as well as some links to uh, other pieces from keith law and from others around the athletic at some of the top storylines and top prospects for the draft that uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more draft tomorrow maybe get into some specific prospect names although again when you pick 20th and 89th and then a bunch of times in the hundreds do you the listener have much of a thought on, on those people? Uh, probably not, right? Um, I don't know. You can read up on them and get your takes, but Major League Baseball's draft is probably the hardest to follow and have instant takes on. That's why we bring on guests like Keith Law and some of the other guests we'll have tomorrow. Um, apologies again. Uh, we were supposed to have uh, Drew Hayes, pitching coach for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, uh, in this hour that didn't come through. Um, but thank you to Caitlin for, for coming through for us and, and helping us out there. We're going to talk to Shai Davidi at 11 o'clock. The back half of that hour is loaded up as well. We'll talk to Joey Votto, we'll talk to Nathan Lucas of the Buffalo Bisons. I uh, will also sprinkle in some of your texts. So if you have them, you can text 590-590. I've got a couple left over uh, from yesterday, uh, but you can send more in and we'll see how many of those we get to. You can always sprinkle some in on a Friday. Uh, Fridays always make for a good veteran day, a good mailbag day. Sorry. I said veteran because I'm reading one of the texts ahead of time. Uh, Brian in Toronto said the doubleheader couldn't come at a worse time with Manoa starting tomorrow. Um, don't know what to expect. You Could you see the veteran starters being stretched out today? 115 pitchers or so if needed. No, I, I don't think they would, uh, they would do, this, especially with Kikuchi. Maybe you're a little more eager to let Kikuchi go six instead of five or something like that. But uh, I, I think overdoing the pitch load, because it's a doubleheader when you were coming off of a month here where the pitchers have been a little overworked as is, I, I think that could be a, a tough one to ask. So you can keep those coming to 590, 590. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Shai Davidi, MLB insider at Sportsnet, joins us from Chicago. That's next on Jay's Talk Plus on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, When it rains, cancels your Wednesday baseball game. Makes you have to play two on Thursday. If you miss it, Jays will do a doubleheader with the White Sox tonight, starting at 5:10 Eastern time, 30 to 45 minute gap between games. And then we'll get to a second. It'll be Jose Brios against Lance Lynn in the first part. And then you say Kikuchi against a big old TBA 
in the second part. Uh, we don't know yet either who the 27th man is uh, coming up for the Blue Jays. We have some suspicions. My suspicion is Jay Jackson, given who was used for the Buffalo Bisons yesterday. We know that Chai Davidi's there, though, and he'll be covering both of these games. No no sitting out one half of the double header for Shai Davidi, MLB insider at Sportsnet. How are you, man? I'm all right. What's going on? Not much. Uh, you a fan of the doubleheader? I, I know it disrupts your Wednesday workflow, but getting to do one or two over the course of a season, those uh, nice to mix it up for for you? No. No. Nope. <laughs> look, nobody really likes doubleheaders, right? The players aren't exactly. Uh, I know it's great for fans, and 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 totally respect and appreciate that and younger me surely love them but for the people involved I and mean, it's a long exhausting day it's it's really stressful for managers and pitching coaches trying to line up arms and making sure that you know who you use in game one in all likelihood burn someone for game two so you know managing through all those kind of challenges how you keep your position players fresh uh, it's it's a it t- these things take a toll uh, they were certainly a little bit more tenable when it was those 14 inning game, uh, 14 inning double headers during the pandemic, the seven inning affairs. Uh, but going back to the full nine inning double header, uh, there's just a heavy toll on everyone involved. Yeah, there certainly is. And if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, I know that the All Star break is right around the corner. And I know that because of the doubleheader, you got yesterday off. Uh, but you're also looking at a situation where you say Kikuchi, who hasn't been trusted to go super deep into games, is one part of this doubleheader. And Alec Manoa starts tomorrow, who's a big old question mark. Um, how much stress does this put on John Schneider and Pete Walker with, with their bullpen over this four-day stretch now where it looked like maybe this was like a pre-breather where you could start to manage workloads heading into the four-day All-Star break? And now it looks like they're, they're kind of right back in triage mode for the weekend well you know i think we're jumping to some assumption that you say isn't going to be able to go six innings today and that you're not going to get five or six from manoa tomorrow right i think if if those two things happen then we're not really having this issue mm-hmm. I think the only question is if you know you need a bunch of your leverage guys in both games um uh that that be, at that point that becomes a bit of a challenge because it's like, all right, if you use, let's say you, you need Swanson, Meza, and Romano today, well, are they off the table for tomorrow? And so uh, that, that to me is the, the sort of the primary challenge. And then I guess if obviously if one of them blows up, it's, it's an entirely different conversation. And then, then you're, yeah, sort of back in triage mode. At the same time, you know, the Blue Jays were in a spot where, you know, they needed, uh, it was going to be Bowden Francis and Trevor Richards in all likelihood in bulk tomorrow. And you know, now you've got Trevor Richards a little bit more freed up to, to provide whatever's needed and everyone else involved. So I, I can see it being a challenge potentially, but it's not necessarily an insurmountable one. That is well laid out shy. And it highlights that I have tended to with things lately and with the Manoa start Friday to take the kind of worst case scenario as my primary scenario to operate from, not my best case scenario. As you lay out, there's also a best case scenario where, yeah, the toughest part of this is, well, you got to close out a couple of games uh, that you're winning. Now, big picture, this is a, a bullpen and a starting staff that has been, you know, pretty heavily worked at, at least at the back end of the bullpen. And with these four starters kind of running you know, a little, a little more often than they otherwise would. How much is this all-star break 
coming at the right time for this group. And then, you know, let's play out the scenario where Alec Manoa's return is a success. Um, how much can this kind of loosen things up for the back end of that bullpen and, and these other four starters? Yeah, and that's uh, really well put there, Blake, because I think a factor, like obviously the tipping point was that the Blue Jays felt Alec Manoa was in a good position uh, to come back and succeed at the major league level. But a key tip, a key, another key factor was that this has taken a huge toll on the other starters and on the bullpen in general. And I thought it was really interesting to hear Chris Bassett uh, on, was I guess it was Tuesday night, just talking about how much of a burden, the inconvenience of it, just how disruptive it was to his routine, his preparations, uh, all the things that, that he would do between starts. Uh, to, to pitch uh, without the, the benefit of those extra days of rest. Uh, and then, you know, Jose Barrios, when I spoke to him as well, he, he said, you know, like it was really rough. We understood it was something we had to do, but it's not something you want to do. You know, th- these guys, these guys really stepped up at, at a time of need. And then you factor in sort of the toll Trevor Richards has had going back and forth between roles, uh, the extra, the, the amount of work that, that is spread elsewhere in the bullpen. I mean, like Eric Swanson is tied for second in the American League in, in appearances. Uh, you know, he's already he's 12 innings away from matching his entire workload from all of last season. Uh, you know, there, there's there's there are a lot of guys who have done a lot of pitching in the first half of the season, and three to four or the four days off. You know, that's a huge period of recuperation. That's something not a lot of the, these guys have gotten. So. Uh, from a recovery standpoint, from a getting these guys ready for the second half standpoint, uh, from a mental break standpoint, yeah, the All-Star break is really coming at a very good time for a lot of these guys. It sure sounds like it. Um, so, Shai, part of what, why we're having this discussion, uh, in part, is because, you know, it's reasonable to check in with these kind of things around the All-Star break, but also because Alec Manoa is going to start on Friday. Uh, Hazel May just updating us just now on Twitter that Manoa, who was originally supposed to join the team in Chicago, will now just join the team in Detroit because of travel issues. Um, but he's going to start that Friday game. You were down in New Hampshire on the weekend for um, his his second and final tune-up start. Um, what did you see from Manoa in that? And maybe more importantly, given that the Jays weren't obviously weren't operating, you know, just on, on pure results with Manoa, what were you you hearing and what was the sense you got from being around Manoa himself? Well, a few things. One, both, both Alec Manoa himself and the Blue Jays really felt that there were strides in the delivery and the pitching mechanics that which something that he's been working out throughout working on throughout the season uh, that was number one two fastball command was something uh, that we've been talking about all season and that piece was certainly there for him in that outing uh, three you saw a little bit of confidence in him uh, some of that swagger that he carries himself on the mound where you know he starts just you can see him feeling it and just going after guys and attacking and not being scared and it was really to me it was really intriguing to hear him talking about afterwards how he had so many things in his head about sort of his delivery and where he was at and how that had maybe taken away from some of the aggressiveness and he seemed to he seemed to be over that he, he really talked about uh, a 
his ability to make adjustments quick, quicker on the fly, something that he said earlier in the season would take him two, three batters if he was able to do it at all. Uh, whereas in that game, he felt like if he had an arm side miss, he was able to make the adjustment immediately thereafter. So those are the kind of pieces that the Blue Jays think is important. Uh, I don't, I get the sense that this is not Alec Manoa being finished, that there's going to continue working on some things with the Blue Jays up here, but they're, they've got him in a position where they feel that he's not going to, he's not going to progress much more in the minor leagues where we can help out right now at the big league level and continue to do his work without it being detrimental to him. And uh, that uh, that's going to be put to the test tomorrow night in Detroit. It certainly is. And, and this is a Detroit team that is not very good um, and they're pretty righty heavy. So maybe Manoa can avoid some of the platoon issues that, that have plagued him at times. This is also a Detroit team, though, that, you know, it's hit a little better of late. They, they can take a walk and things like that. There are no easy landing spots uh, in Major League Baseball when, when you've struggled as Alec Manoa uh, has. But do you when you look at the timing of this beyond just, hey, he can continue working on stuff at the Major League level. Do you think there was a sense of you know, if it wasn't this start against Detroit, maybe his first one was going to be against a much more dangerous team in Arizona or San Diego. I'm not, necess- I'm not necessarily sure that was uh, the, a major consideration because, look, if, if they didn't feel he was in a good spot, then, you know, you're not going to sort of roll the dice and then maybe things go sideways against Detroit. And then it's like, all right, here come the Diamondbacks or here come the Padres next, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that is the ma- a major factor. But I, to me, I think if you're sort of looking at the, at the pieces, one, obviously it's just Manoa making strides and having some momentum, which is weird to say because there's that Florida Complex League outing in, in the mix. It's not that far off. Um, but then the other piece is what's the best thing for your pitching staff as a whole right now. And, you know, if the blue Jays were in a situation where maybe they had a more viable option at triple a to make a start, that wasn't going to be as disruptive to the rest of the pitching staff. Perhaps we're having a bit of a different conversation, uh, but that's not there. And I think the blue Jays are like, well, look, we've got the need. He's, he's got some things going right. You know, if uh, if we're going to test him, this is the this is the time right now. Uh, and then the other piece, I think, to the, to this Blake too, and this is maybe a smaller factor, but it's not an insignificant one. But you know, the trade deadline is coming up, yep. and at a point, you have to know what you have in Alec Manoa, and you're going to need to know what you have in Hyunjin Ryu because that changes how you approach the deadline depending on the answer to those two questions. It certainly does. And I brought that point up a little earlier as well, you know, especially with Manoa. I don't know that we're going to see Ryu in time for them to judge much. He made his first rehab start earlier this week. Where is the team at in terms of, you know, if not, like what is the team envisioning as, hey, if things continue to go well with Hyunjin Ryu, if the velocity comes up, um, you know, what role could he play? Because I, I think, you know, the idea of a six-man rotation is something that I've gotten asked in the text line about a little bit, but, you know, that shortens your bullpen and things like that. What is the team treating Hyunjin Ryu as like, hey, that's gravy if he's back, or, or does he have a role in their mind to play, you know, come end of the month? A little bit of both. Right. It, 
at this point, it's hard to sort of count on it because guys go through setbacks in Tommy John buildups all the time, right? And it's one thing to sort of pitch in the game. It's the second thing, well, what does the recovery look like? And how does that impact the next outing? So that, especially as the workload starts increasing and in theory, his velocity starts ticking up a little bit as well. So there's still a lot of question marks in terms of what it's actually going to be and when it's going to get there. But the scenario of him coming in as a six starter, the Blue Jays have at least discussed that. And in some ways, it could be a way to compensate for the period of this period of the past month where they've gone for a four-man rotation and the guys were, were heavily taxed. Uh, this may be an opportunity to reset that a little bit. And, yeah, it does shorten the bullpen a little bit, but at the same time, it gives you a little bit more option for creativity if you do have a, a shortened spot that you can move someone uh, someone up from uh, the, the uh, sixth starter to come in maybe in a game and cover if somebody goes short and then just go to a, go through a normal five-man for a turn until you can reset yourself. So there are certainly ways to creatively manage that, and I think that would be on the table. But I think until – until Ryu shows that he's capable of, you know, getting to a hundred pitches, carrying that recover and be back again with the type of stuff he needs to compete, you know, to some, to some degrees, it's, um, it, it's still a theoretical conversation, right? Uh, the Chris Bassett kind of brought this up the other day, the adage in baseball, you know, to just, just give in baseball, give something a, a week and everything's going to change. And so, <laughs> That's uh, that's that's a pretty good way to approach this, I think, too. So Manoa's Friday. Ryu is later this month. Uh, now, the rest of this weekend, you might have a focus on what things are going to look like one and two and five years from now because it is the Major League Baseball draft this weekend. You'll also, I believe, be at the Futures game as part of All-Star Weekend in Seattle. Yeah, I will be. Uh, what are we what are we thinking about Sam Robertsa and Josefer Zulueta as the the Blue Jays representatives there? I know Zulueta has been moved to the bullpen. Robertsa's uh, I think it was you that that wrote the the kind of big feature on him last year, right? Yeah, he's uh, really interesting. I actually caught up with him a little bit uh, in New Hampshire when I was there last weekend as well. And uh, he doesn't know uh, how much he's going to get to pitch in that game. Uh, Zulueta last year, I think he got like one or two pitches. He came in in a jam. <laughs> And uh, he got a ground ball, got out of it, and that was his future game experience. So maybe he's going to get a little bit more action this time around. Uh, But there are two really intriguing arms, right? Zulueta was someone the Blue Jays were looking at as maybe a a potential swing arm, a bulk arm, but they knew that he's got this relief piece that he'd be very well suited for if that didn't play. And that's the role that he's been in. He's sort of been a three to five out guy for the past month and change there. Then in AAA Buffalo and uh, some of the command issues he was fighting a little bit earlier in the year uh, seem to have ebbed since that change. Uh, so he's certainly an interesting arm for the Blue Jays. Uh, and Reversa, he continues to make really incredible strides since uh, uh since signing as a, as a teenager from the Netherlands and someone who's uh, carrying innings again at double A New Hampshire, his velocity's up a little bit uh, in talking to him. He's, he really likes the way he's been, he's been attacking the zone. He hasn't been shying away from contact 
and the way that he's been able uh, to really just use his pitches. He's a, a really intellectual pitcher. He's kind of along the lines of or, uh, the, the Ross Stripling, Chris Bassett kind of line where guys got a lot of different pitches. He'll throw them at any different count. He'll keep guys off balance. Uh, and he's incredibly young. So uh, certainly a lot of growth there. But uh, he's a really intriguing uh, young prospect. And look, the Blue Jays need starting pitching prospects. They don't have many of them at AAA, but they have a few at AA in Reversa, uh, Chad, Dall- uh, Chad Dallas, uh, Jimmy Robbins, uh, guys who uh, are certainly worth keeping an eye on. That is, uh, yeah, the, the AAA depth could be great. And there are, there are a lot of arms at AA uh, right now. Reversa, Chad Dallas, Adam Kloffenstein has, uh, has kind of turned things around after I think a lot of people were out on him as a prospect. So, yeah, you picked a good time to get to go down to New Hampshire. Uh, glad you'll get to uh, check in on, on Reversa and Zulueta again this weekend. The other thing I got to ask you about All-Star Weekend, I've been asking everyone, so I'm not just putting you on the spot, but we have the Home Run Derby field. We have the Home Run Derby brackets. Shy, do you have a lean? Who do you like in the Derby Monday night? Uh, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't even really thought about it much, uh, to be honest. Uh, I do. I would just wonder, like, Vlad obviously put on that show the one time he competed in it. And it just feels like Vlad wouldn't have ju- would have, wouldn't have jumped in in this unless he was really intent to win it. And so, <laughs> uh, now, like, uh, tough, tough draw in the first round getting Mookie Betts, uh, although... That's going to be really fun to watch the two of those guys go at it. So, uh, you know, why not? Let's, let's, uh, Vlad's the guy I've seen the most this year, obviously. So let, let's go with Vlad. Finally, I'm glad to, I've been asking people all week. You're the first one to pick Vlad. And, and if you didn't do it tomorrow at 11.54 a.m., I was going to have to do it so that someone had selected Vlad. Uh, thanks for doing that, Shy, And thanks for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time out. Yeah, no problem, Blake. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, enjoy Seattle. Uh, Shai Davidi, MLB Insider at Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. He's got you covered from Chicago right now, and then he'll be uh, our man on the ground in Seattle for All-Star Weekend, as well as the Futures game, which goes Saturday. Um, You know, not a ton to be gleaned from the game itself, but there's always uh, a lot to be gleaned from the league chatter around some of those prospects. It's kind of unofficially like all-star weekend is kind of unofficially like, Hey, check in on conference. Like they're not the GM meetings or the winter meetings, but it may as well be. And some of the top prospects are there. Although the, uh, the futures game rosters don't necessarily line up with the, the prospect rankings lists and things like that. Robertsa certainly a name to watch. I I'd imagine given how he's improved again over the course of this year at double a at, at just age 21, that he's someone who could start popping up on top 100 prospect lists at some point. And as Caitlin McGrath told us a little earlier, Keith law has said that, Hey, if he did a top 200 instead of a top 100, maybe a few more Jays names show up there. Uh, Robertsa among them, Chad Dallas, who was a recent draft pick and, you know, shows you, you can have some success in the draft and start building out that, uh, that minor league pitching depth his name could be in that mix uh, as well. The other one to keep an eye on, and this is not uh, imminent or anything like that, but anytime a guy graduates to the AAA level from the AA level and continues to have success, he's not a, a high prospect, but Paxton Schultz has been pretty good for um, for the Buffalo Bison since getting the call up from New Hampshire. Not a ton of strikeout stuff so far and maybe more walks than you'd like, um, but the Blue Jays are perilously thin on 
guys who can start at AAA. So anytime someone's doing that, uh, it's worth noting. It's also, you know, one of the reasons I, I think if Alec Manoa or not, if when Alec Manoa gets, uh, gets reinstated tomorrow, depending on how the usage of guys goes today, Bowden Francis makes some sense to me as the guy to go down, even though he's been good for this bullpen. I enjoy watching him pitch. I think that we've seen enough that you want to make sure he stays stretched out in case you do need a sixth starter uh, a little later in the season. You can send us some texts to 59590, uh, what you're feeling about this weekend, what your pick for the home run derby is, why you think Vlad will or will not win it. Uh, We'll sprinkle them in, especially tomorrow, uh, but we might have a little time coming out of the break. After this break, though, right around 1130, Joey Votto is joining us. We'll have Nathan Lucas in the last half hour of this show as well. Uh, Blue Jays Talk Plus continues on uh, the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360 with Joey Votto coming up in a few minutes. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's Selena, who our next guest is uh, a big fan of, wearing a Selena shirt around for uh, for pregame stuff. We'll talk to Joey Votto in a couple of minutes here. His Cincinnati Reds are one of the hottest teams in baseball, 48 and 39 atop the NL Central. They're up by two games in the division, which is the largest lead in the division they have had since four games into the 2015 season. It's been a minute since. The Reds have been on a run like this, especially this late in the season. Joey Votto, of course, a part of that five home runs in 13 games since returning uh, after a couple of minor league stints uh, following his late season shoulder surgery and bicep surgery last year. Uh, Things are very fun around the Cincinnati Reds. We're also going to talk to Nathan Lucas after Joey Votto. Nathan Lucas, a member of the Buffalo Bisons, uh, will pick his mind on what it's been like going up and down with the Blue Jays, making his major league debut, um, you know, how you stay ready in a role like that where you're not being used very much. Looking ahead to tonight, the Blue Jays play two, five o'clock Eastern, and then whenever the other one ends, plus half an hour or so. By the way, uh, so Blair and Barker will not, of course, be in their five to seven slot because there will be a Blue Jays game on, but Blair and Barker will have you for Jays talk between games and Jays talk after the second game as well. So you'll still get a steady dose of your guys, Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker, a fun segment with Jeff Blair on the fan morning show today as well. If you're looking for a little bit more from them, it is Jose Barrios and Yusei Kikuchi starting on the blue Jays side. It is Lance Lynn and a big old TBA on the white Sox side of things. It's a, a bullpen day for them. So they got to hope Lance Lynn gives them some length. Lance Lynn, who's had a, a bit of an up and down year, ERA up over six, but capable of striking out 16 guys in some instances. Um, so we'll see which version of Lance Lynn the Blue Jays get tonight. They could use a couple, build some momentum, get back in that wild card race, uh, maybe take a couple off Detroit on the weekend. As Joe Siddle has reminded us, there is no such thing as a soft spot in the schedule when you're not playing your best baseball. 
but the Jays do have an opportunity here to run with a little bit of momentum heading into the All-Star break. A team that has a lot of momentum right now. They are atop the NL Central at 48 and 39. They've won four in a row once again is the Cincinnati Reds. They've become America's team. And because of our next guest, maybe they're Canada's team too. It's Joey Votto, first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. Joey, thanks for joining us, man. How are you this morning? Hey, so glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for doing it. Um, you guys are, are a lot of fun right now. I got to start with the Ellie De La Cruz moment last night, uh, offering the, the umpire to check his bat once again. How much fun has it been? You know, uh, obviously this team is very fun in general, but Ellie in particular has kind of broken out as one of the most must-see stars in, in baseball right now. Uh, how fun is that day-to-day for, for you to get to see him take, come onto the scene like this and kind of develop day by day? Yeah, if, you, if you're not um, if you're not watching the Jays, tune in tune in to watch the Reds fight. We are no, it's not a sell. We are just a really fun style of baseball. Um, a lot of the guys have their own uh, interesting stories. Some long term, long time minor league guys, some super duper uh, prospect types, and we're all together doing it together. Um, the team is fast. The team is powerful. The team has, you can tell they have fun. They play with emotion. So, you know, and, and they're only getting better each and every day. So to, to, to you know, if, if any uh, Jays fan has, has time, tune in and watch the Reds. We are a really good time. You are. It's, uh, you know, it's become must-see. And there was obviously the very long winning streak that you kind of rejoined the team during the middle of um, what was that like for you? Uh, obviously you, you have been a part of winning teams and you've been a, a part of winning streaks and things like that. Uh, but trying to rejoin the mix and find your footing in the middle of that winning streak. How was that uh, adjustment period for you? Yeah, it was intimidating. I felt uh, a bit out of place um, in that I, I needed to make sure that when I came back, I performed well, you know, I, I had a, um, uh, shoulder surgery last year and bicep surgery last August. And, you know, the recovery for that can be challenging. Um, if you don't come back, you know, you can, if, excuse me, if you don't come back uh, 100%, uh, you can get exposed. And I wanted to make sure that when I came back, I was able to perform well right away. I was able to impact the game and fit in. You know, it's, it's especially tough coming in right in the heart of a winning streak because, you know, you just don't want to interrupt that momentum, and nothing's more important than the team. Than the team, and um, you know, thank goodness I performed well right away and and um, fit right in. So, you know, I, I I have relationships with a lot of these guys, even though they're much younger than me, and even though we haven't played at the major league level together, the time in spring training, and most importantly, the time in AAA uh, during my rehab was great because I was able to build relationships and I was able to, when return and uh, when I return, uh, join in, join in comfortably. Um, so it was good. Your time with Louisville at triple um, you know, what, what was that like for you? I know you just touched on it a little bit there, but I'd imagine, you know, for a lot of those guys, it was pretty cool to have you down there. And I know you'd done a rehab stint here and there before, but you spent a little bit of extended time with them um, playing that kind of, veteran role to a triple a team instead of playing it at the major league level um what what was that process like for you and that experience i'd imagine there were a lot of guys trying to pick your brain day to day no 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 not at all um when i was down there i I basically started um from their opening day called it call it april one i didn't return to the major league team until the middle of june 
And so I, I built relationships with a lot of the, the Louisville slugger, um, uh, Louisville bats, excuse me, um, players, and I'm playing with them now. Ellie De La Cruz, you know, uh, 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 Matt McClain, uh, these, these two, um, you know, potential stars um, are guys that I played with down there for a couple months, practiced with, got to know. Um, and as far as being a veteran, as far as uh, any sort of like a teaching moments, you know, I, I, I just felt like it was a, um, an opportunity to get back to my roots. And it felt like, you know, my first uh, Gulf Coast League experience as an 18-year-old in Florida, it felt like, um, you know, I was a minor leaguer again. It felt like I was one of the guys. So, you know, I don't remember many teaching moments just because it's a, a little bit, um, you know, it, it's a little presumptuous to go out of your way and tell somebody uh, without building a relationship what to and to not do. But um, I, I just felt like while I, while I was down there, I was just one of the guys, and it reminded me of how much I love playing ball, how much I love being at the major league level in a Cincinnati Reds uniform, and how much how grateful I am to be healthy and to be back and to come back to a winning team, hmm. uh, a team where uh, people are excited to come to the ballpark, excited to watch our, our young uh, pot- potential stars play, that's, that's, this has been maybe the best stretch in my entire major league career. That's, that's awesome to hear. I'm glad you're having so much fun with it. And that's, you know, great perspective on building those relationships before you, you could help someone if that that's something they're, they're open to. So you, you've come up to the major league level again now, and you've hit the ground running. Like you said, you homer in that first game back five homers in 13 games here. Um, But I do remember, you know, some quotes from you and, and some interviews initially that you weren't, you know, maybe not, maybe doubt is not the right word, but you weren't a, a thousand percent sure that was going to come back. What, what was that process like for you? Because that was, you know, one of the longer stretches of time you've missed in, in your career. Um, you know, and, and last year, obviously before the injury be because of that shoulder issue hadn't gone particularly well, the mental side of, of you coming back and, you know, maybe the pressure you put on yourself to, to perform well because the team was winning. How was the mental component of that return for you initially? Well, um, preceding the surgery, I was awful for, for a couple months there. I was playing poorly. I wasn't able to help the team. And, uh, you know, I was playing in a lot of pain also. So, you know, coming back, uh, this, this rehab can take a real good bit of time. And each week it gets better. Um, but when, you're, when you're, you feel like you're 60 or 70 or 80% of yourself, you're waiting for it all to click. You're waiting for things to feel better. You're waiting to feel stronger for the pain to go away. And, you know, it can be intimidating. And at times you can feel like, when is this journey going to end? And so even as I sit here and talk to you right now, it still continues to improve. I still continue to adapt to major league speed, get stronger, uh, feel uh, less, less soreness, less pain. And I'm feeling just, back to a hundred percent, but there are plenty of moments during, during this experience that I thought, Holy cow, I may never play baseball again. I may never be a good player again. I may never be able to help the team again. I'm going to be forgotten. I'm going to be, you know, left behind. 
And, you know, um, I, I tried mightily to counter all those, like, emotional moments or those doubts with work, with steadfast work and um, leaning into the quality of uh, physical therapists I, I worked with, leaning into the guidance of the, the doctors I worked with. And, you know, I'm, I'm at a place where I feel like I can compete at a really high level. So it's been, been a pretty cool experience to go from playing so, playing so poorly uh, before the surgery to to here, so I I, I, I truly think I'm going to continue to play better and, and and get better. So I'm excited about it. We're excited uh, about it as well. And I know for anyone who doesn't know that you know it wasn't just the last year thing that that's a shoulder issue that it, that it bothered you back to. I think you said to 2015 uh, initially, and you were able to kind of rehab around it. So um, last year, I, I think pretty understandable. Joey, you're a guy who you know I love hearing you talk about the the kind of mental side of hitting and the approach side as you've returned this year, you know, you've been a couple different versions of Joey Votto over the years and adjusting to what pitchers are doing to you or what the game's presenting to you or where you're at. Um, you know, we've seen you be the highest walk guy in baseball, a very low strikeout guy, trade off some power for some contact and things like that. What's front of mind for you right now when it comes to your approach at the plate and how pitchers are attacking you? Or is it just kind of a, a focus on making sure you feel good physically right now and, and then adjusting, you know, once you're sure you're 100% physically? No, I feel great right now. I, I just need to continue to work, uh, continue to, to get my... Um, get my swing coordinated, uh, continue to uptick the bat speed. And I think with reps, that'll, that'll continue to improve. And then just trust my, trust my abilities. I mean, I, 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 I just have to go out and play. I have to continue to take at bats, continue to, to start games or playing games and, and uh, get in the middle of major league competition. There's a, uh, a real jump, a significant jump from, from the minor league level, um, play to uh, the major league level. So I'm, I'm also readapting to that. And the, the, the speed difference between the two levels is noticeable. And so, um, you know, just like you said, 13 games played, that's, that, that's you know, halfway through spring training. And uh, I, I just, I, I think with each game, I'll, I'll continue to feel better and continue to feel stronger. And, I'll, and I'll, my performance will reflect that. And the Reds will continue to, to stay hot, uh, we hope. It's been a ton of fun to watch. Joey, I know you've got another interview. Quickly before I let you go, you and I talked basketball back in, uh, I think, early 2020. Um, you know, we had kind of joked around and you assured me you could still dunk. Uh, curious, as a Raptor fan, you know, that title meant a lot to the city and to basketball fans here. When you look at the Raptors now and there are so few pieces left from, from that championship team, uh, how does that feel to you as a Raptors fan? It's the nature of the business. Uh, I think in in sport, um, you know, rare is the team that keeps their core stars and, and is successful for for a long period of time. Uh, especially if you're not like the marquee marquee superstar group, you know, the the Shaq Kobe's, the Tim Duncan uh, and his group, and then you know Jordan and Steph Curry and all all those super duper stars. So. You know, if you're in that second tier and you just so happen to win a championship, which 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 the Raptors probably were more in that sort of non <clears throat> non dynasty group, um, it can be difficult, and it's a bummer because you know that group was so fun. You know, I, I was at Game Seven in in Boston when we played the Red Sox, the Celtics, and the Heat, 
um, were on the floor. And I got nostalgic watching Kyle Lowry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, will his team, uh, you know, be a part of, be a part of the, the win uh, that got them to the NBA finals, you know, and uh, you know, he used to, he was uh, the most or second most or one of the most important pieces of the, the championship Raptors team, you know, and I watched Kawhi Leonard and in, in LA and, you know, so it's, it's, um, it, I'm sure there will be um, a successful turnaround because there's smart people that work for the Raptors and we have an amazing fan base that, uh, will support will support the team. So in due time, uh, they'll be competitive competitive again. I, I think you're right there. Uh, and in the interim, Canadian fifth sports fans can hop on the Cincinnati Reds bandwagon for some playoff baseball. We hope. Uh, Joey, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. Uh, keep up all the great work and keep having a blast in Cincinnati. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Joey Votto, first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. They are red hot, 48 and 39 at the top of the NL Central on a four-game winning streak. Also pretty hot right now, the Buffalo Bisons. They've won uh, four or five after a big 12th inning victory last night. Uh, Outfielder for that team joins us now, Nathan Lucas. Nathan, how are you this morning, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am well. uh, Crazy 12-inning game for you guys last night. I I have to ask, um, obviously, team comes first and things like that. And you were up in the majors for a chunk of time that, that split this up, but you were on a pretty long hitting streak and then you get used as a pinch hitter yesterday and you get intentionally walked. You feel like your hitting streak should kind of still continue with a little asterisk. Uh, yes and no. If I, if I had wanted that, uh, I would say let's, let's continue the hit streak, but, uh, <laughs> I went from pinch hitting in the eighth inning to getting three plate appearances, and that's <laughs> that's all. That's always fun. Um, but I mean, it's it, it's about getting on base, and I got intentionally walked. So I mean, let's keep that that on base streak going. There you go. Um, that was a, a pretty big win for you guys. Twelfth inning, five uh, four victory. You guys have strung together a, a couple now. Four of your last five. Are you starting to feel a, a little bit of turning the corner with that group as a team? I mean, absolutely. Uh, this team is just—it's—it's it's fun to be be around everybody. Uh, everyone, man, we just have fun, and there's there's no quit. Um, I think it was past three or four games. It's just not not hitting too much in the beginning of the in the beginning of the game, and then all of a sudden the light the light turns on, and just it's pretty much no one's gonna make it out. And it's it's just it's unbelievable to watch. It's it's just man, it's baseball. Baseball is a it's a tough sport. It comes in waves, the good, the bad, and uh, right now we're on the good. So just got to keep it going. You're on the good at the team level. You're on the good at the individual level. Your your OPS OPS is is up well over 900. We we mentioned the the hitting streak and the on base streak. Um, how tough an adjustment has it been to, I mean, the results say it hasn't been that tough of an adjustment, but I'd imagine there, there is some component of, of adjusting, you know, your approach and just your, your everyday routine when you go from, you know, being on the major league roster for about two months, but, but, you know, you're seeing time as a defensive replacement or, or pinch runner. And now you're right back to playing every day and hitting every day. What has that change up been like for you? Yeah, definitely. This whole year, it's been it's been pretty new to me. Um, I've pretty much this year has been a, 
a learning curve. And so just being up there with the Blue Jays and learning from all the vets that are up there that have, have been in my situation, uh, not playing, defensive replacement, pinch running, and so just kind of picking their brain and, and learning from them, um, trying to find ways to succeed and help the team in that aspect, and then obviously not getting getting a whole lot of at-bats in the big leagues over, I think it was like two and a half months. Um, so coming down here and, and seeing pitching every single day is, I mean, I think it's only going to help me when, when and if the time comes of, of going back up. In terms of your time with the Blue Jays, obviously a terrific moment at the start of the season. You, you make the major league roster uh, after you know seven years in the minor leagues. Um, and, and then you, you get into that stretch and, and more so your second stint with the team because I know, I know the initial one was you know you, you were back in Buffalo fairly quickly. So you're, you are handling this role where you're not being used a ton, but if you're going to be used, it's in a super high leverage spot. They're only using defensive replacements and pinch runners. If the game is, you know, a close one and things like that, what what was that balance like? And how do you, you know, how did you find yourself trying to stay ready uh, for those big moments in the dugout? Yeah, it was just pretty much every single day. Donnie would come up to us uh, either before the game or kind of the first inning and let us know, Hey, like these are the situations that you could possibly go in. Um, and then pretty much from the fourth inning to the seventh inning, it's just pretty much just getting loose, going in the cage, staying hot, staying ready. And then if your name's called, I mean, you're in the big leagues. you got to go out there and do your job, and you got to do it well. Um, and so pretty much, I mean, just in the cages, Hunter Mentz, we'd, we would, all the bench players, would we'd hit with Hunter Mentz. And, uh, man, he would make it fun. We'd, we'd play little games off the off the pitching machine and he would create scenarios and and then when we aren't hitting off the machine it's uh i mean we're doing our job of stretching and getting ready getting loose ready ready to run so you mentioned being able to to kind of learn from some of the major league guys there who have been in your situation um just being around talent at that level generally and you mentioned you know it's it's casual to you now like oh yeah donnie comes up and talks to us but that's you know that's dogmatically coming up coming up and talking to you when 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 you're in that dugout and when you're in that clubhouse day-to-day how much are you able to pick up just by being around major league talent at at that level on a day-to-day basis yeah it's it's not so much picking up on the words that they're saying but it's the the way that they're acting the way that they're going about their business um I mean, I'm I'm a pretty quiet guy in in the dugout, so it's I'm just I'm sitting there and just kind of soaking it all in and 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 learning from their actions and watching the way that that they play the game and it's I mean Dave Springer, Kiermaier, like even Varsho, Merrifield, like all of them in the outfield. It's watching them and how they go about their business and go about their day. It's just I mean, it's the true definition of a big leaguer, and that's why they've been there, and that's why they're going to continue to be there. When you look at an outfield like that, and I know the fun talking point in the offseason was, yeah, it's an outfield of three outfielders, or three center fielders, rather. You know, you're a defensive replacement a lot of times. You're used to being the best outfielder on the field. Um, Man, what's it like looking out there and you see an outfield of Varsho, Kiermaier, Springer? Of course, you're still going to be used defensively, but but as a a defense-first outfielder, that's got to be a cool thing to look out and watch every day. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I think, oh, man, I mean, it's, especially Kiermaier. I mean, every, everyone knows he's he's one of the best. I, saw, I got to see him a little bit in Tampa, um, but didn't play with him a whole lot. Um, and so just kind of watching him on the TV, the TV just, it says nothing. <laughs> um, but seeing him in real life doing his job, I mean, it's, he's, He's on a whole nother level. Uh, Springer, Varsho, they're, they're, they're both on a whole nother level. And I don't think people realize it a whole lot. Like they are, they are the elite defenders in this game. So it's, if there's one team that I want to be on and learn from the best, this, this is definitely the one. <laughs> um, so something they might be able to, to learn from you, they've got a doubleheader tonight because they got Rando yesterday. That's a little more common in the minor leagues. I know you guys with Buffalo have had just some awful luck with rainouts so far this year. Um, yeah, do you, do you get a kick out of, out of doubleheader days? I, I know they can probably be long and tiring, but, but you know, uh, through the course of, of the minors or even if, if you're up in the majors, uh, you get a kick out of those double days? Uh... <laughs> You could say sometimes no, it's okay. Good. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. It's a, it's, it's a different story now. Now that I have a daughter and a mm. family, it's we when it's raining, I I hope they cancel it early. That way I can go home and, and hang out with my daughter. Um, but it's in the minor leagues it's a whole it's a whole different story. I mean, we play two seven inning games and those games are two hours in and out quit in in the big leagues it's it's a different story they they're playing they're still playing two nines it's 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 rough it's rough on the body uh rough on the mind especially if in you if you're in both of those games and you're not seeing the ball very well if it's just like a little tic tac flying at you it's uh it can be a long two games or it can be a fun two games that's that's about it well, hopefully it's a fun two for the Blue Jays tonight in Chicago. Uh, Nathan, last one before I let you go here. You you did get to spend a little bit of time in Toronto. You were at this club for, for a little over two months here. Uh, what did you, did, did you find um, any things in Toronto that you were like, okay, this is, uh, you know, this is for me. What, what were your favorite parts of the city in the time you got to spend here? Oh, man. I don't know. Food and drinks. Toronto, <laughs> Toronto has... Man, they they have a whole selection of food and drinks, and and I'm a foodie. I love eating. Um, it's my comfort. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, prime prime food and drinks. You got that right, man. It it is a good city for that. <laughs> Buffalo's not the worst for it either, you know. Especially if you're a wing guy, but yeah, Toronto's uh, pretty yep. great for that. Uh, Nathan, thanks so much okay. for taking the time out, man. Re- really hope to see you back up here soon. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Nathan Lucas, outfielder for the Red Hot Buffalo Bisons. Uh, It is kind of the time of year now where we're keeping an even closer eye on the minor league stuff midway point where you check in with prospect lists and stuff like that. It's about one year removed from last year's draft. So you check in on how those uh, players are doing. And then, of course, you have to start thinking who could be a trade chip. And if you move one piece out, who could potentially replace them? Uh, Nathan Lucas, by far the hottest hitter for the Buffalo Bisons of late as they start to turn things around and make a, a kind of midseason push here toward the postseason. Uh, Jay's in action tonight, like we talked about with Nathan. It's a doubleheader. It'll be 
Jose Brios against, against Lance Lynn. It'll be Yusei Kikuchi against a bullpen day. That one starts at 510 Eastern. When it finishes, there will be about a 30 to 45 minute gap before the second game finishes. You will have Blair and Barker doing a between games Jays talk. Then Blair and Barker will also have you for Jays talk after the second game. So that's your programming schedule ahead. Uh, Matt Marchese and Jesse Rubinoff are coming up for sports that today following me. We'll be back at 10 a.m. tomorrow to break down the doubleheader and continue to set up Alec Manoa's return to the major leagues against the Detroit Tigers uh, tomorrow. Thanks so much to Nathan Lucas for coming on, to Joey Votto, to Keegan Shy and Caitlin, uh, three of our, our favorite regular guests. It's been a, a blast of a show, and thanks to Jeff, Lance, and Jennifer uh, behind the glass. Again, doubleheader tonight. Jay's Talk Plus back tomorrow at 10 a.m. to break down both of those games and tee up what is suddenly, uh, you know, one of the highest leverage July games you could think of as, as Manoa takes on the Tigers. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.